Welcome to NFP's Insights from the Experts podcast. Each episode showcases timely expertise and perspective from members of the NFP community, delivering information, analysis, and solutions that address our clients' most significant challenges. Hello, and welcome to the Benefits Compliance Podcast. My name is Suzanne Spradley, and I'm here with my colleague, Chase Cannon. We are both attorneys with NFP, and we bring you this podcast to address issues facing employers that offer group health plans. Today, we're going to go on a pandemic-related blitzkrieg through recent benefits compliance guidance. Some of the recent guidance have created a lot of confusions, and employers are asking many questions about, for example, certain deadline extensions. So, Chase, why don't you tee it up for us? Yeah, thanks, Suzanne. So let's talk about the pandemic-related rules that are in play, and then we'll get into these proclamations and some of the confusion on the timing and the duration of the rules. But quickly, as background, the FFCRA and the CARES Act, those were both passed at the beginning of the pandemic in March, and they both together require group health plans to cover certain COVID-19-related diagnostic and preventive health services, and to do so without cost-sharing pre-authorization or other medical management requirements. So that included things like diagnostic tests that are approved or authorized by the FDA, or they're subject to a developer's request for FDA emergency use authorization, or that were developed in in and authorized by a state. And we found out later through DOL clarification that it includes things like antibody tests, those uh, so-called serological tests, and uh, in addition to that, plans have to provide coverage for all items and services provided to the individual during the visit that re- resulted in the COVID-19 testing. So that would include something if the healthcare provided or administered a flu or blood test to determine the necessity of the COVID-19 testing. Uh, that flu and blood test would also be covered without cost sharing. So those requirements from the FFCRA and the CARES Act are effective from March 18th 2020, and they last through the duration of the HHS, that's the Department of Health and Human Services, their declared public emergency. And we're going to talk about why that matters here in a sec. But the other set of rules um, are, are related to the Department of Labor. And this came through back in May. They published these so-called deadline extensions uh, that were meant to be a type of relief. But under these rules, plans have to disregard this period from March 1st, 2020 until 60 days after the end of the national emergency as declared by the White House. And that related to certain deadlines um, that we'll talk about in just a sec. But that period of time is known as the outbreak period. And um, that's uh, created a little bit of confusion because there has been no end to the national emergency so far. But as far as what that applies to, uh, it relates to HIPAA special enrollment right election periods, COBRA election and premium payment deadlines, and the appeals process. So the internal and external appeals process, whereby a a participant can file a claim or an appeal. So it has wide sweeping implications. As we're discussing it today, though, we're really focusing on this outbreak period, which is tied to the so-called national emergency, and that's announced by the White House. Okay, so that helps us refresh some of those basic rules relating to the pandemic, but let's talk about the proclamations because that seems to be where a lot of the confusion lies. Yeah, so we have kind of two different proclamations, one from HHS and one from the White House. 
Um, it's confusing, but on the HHS proclamation, again, that relates to the FFCRA and CARES Act, uh, temporary rules on covering COVID-19 testing. But generally, for purposes of a public health emergency declaration, that's going to last 90 days or until HHS declares that it, the public health emergency no longer exists, so whichever occurs first. Now, 90 days is not very long, um, or it feels a little bit temporary, but HHS can extend that. And that's what they've been doing since, since the original proclamation back in March. But HHS can extend the public health emergency declaration for subsequent 90-day periods for as long as the public health emergency continues to exist. Um, so basically, they can shorten or extend that 90-day periods. And HHS recently extended their declaration. In the past, they had done this in April and July, and now they announced on October 2nd, actually, that they have a new 90-day extension going into effect on October 23rd, 2020. So with this renewal, those FFCRA and CARES Act provisions remain in effect for 90 days from October 23rd. So that'll be roughly January 23rd of 2021. So we now see this pandemic's effect bleeding into 2021. Remember, this, this HHS proclamation and this extension is tied to that COVID-19 testing and diagnostic requirement that uh, we outlined under the FFCRA and CARES Act. So let's turn to the White House proclamation. What does that uh, pertain to? And, and tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the White House proclamation relates to those HIPAA special enrollment right uh, deadlines, COBRA deadlines and the internal appeals extension and the national emergency for this purpose refers to the president's declaration of a national emergency um, as of march 1st 2020 that was the original announcement and then once an end date to the national emergency is announced the outbreak period will end 60 days after that date unless uh, the agencies announce a different end date for purposes of these extensions. So there are really two options here, the White House or the President's declaration of the end of the national emergency, or the Department of Labor could come out and make a little change and say, we're going we're gonna to cut these rules short. But right now, we have heard nothing from either the White House or the DOL. So this outbreak period um, which is, again, is tied to the declaration of the national emergency being over. That's still in place. That was not impacted by HHS's announcement of their extension. Yeah, but that, I mean, that really creates a lot of uncertainty for COBRA, for, for HIPAA special enrollment, for appeals. It's, uh, we are hearing from employers that they are quite confused by all this, and it just, it just seems to keep on going. Yeah, it's really problematic. It's difficult to deal with, and um, it creates confusion, um, especially when there's these different national emergencies and proclamations. But if we look at a quick example here, the soonest a proclamation would occur from the White House would probably be the end of October. So you'd be looking at 60 days after that, which is basically the end of the year. Um, so we're talking about individuals that experienced events um, potentially back in March or April, and now their window to react to some of this, to make a COBRA election or request a special enrollment. Uh, right. That would extend into 2021. So it's just kind of crazy. And of course, the biggest challenge is on the vendors. So if you're an employer, just work so closely with your administrator or other vendor and make sure you're all on the same page, right? It's just important as, uh, to make sure that everything's uh, being communicated and worked through properly. And we've talked about this on past podcasts. 
Right. Uh, but just that idea of helping and getting on the same page. But we did want to highlight the difference there between the HHS proclamation and the White House proclamation. As many were thinking that this new October 23rd date um, was actually somehow related to the White House and the end of the outbreak period for purposes of the DOL rules. Uh, so to simplify, to restate here, HHS declaration that impacts the CARES and the FFCRA provisions on COVID-19 testing and diagnostics, that has been extended uh, beginning October 23rd, whereas the DOL and White House declarations, those impact the HIPAA, COBRA appeals deadlines for the outbreak period, and that has not been extended. It just continues to go forward. Um, So confusion there, but hopefully that helps straighten it out a little bit. Yeah, and before I move on, can you address where um, our employers can find resources along this in written form from uh, our advisors? Yeah, great point. So we do have some FAQ documents on nfc.com under our latest insights, where we kind of have been tracking the pandemic-related news, and um, that is available at nfc.com. So that's a great spot to find some of these uh, clarifications and, and guidance. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna turn to state compliance developments, and I'm gonna put you on a bit of a hot seat. I want to ask some questions about states from around the country because we have audience around the country. And so we're going to do this in a lightning round fashion sort of way. I'm going to mention a state. You're going to say two words and then, and then give me no more than two minutes on what's happening in that state. Sound good? Yeah, that's great. I love lightning and I love traveling. So this is cool. Okay. (laughs) We are going to start in the West. We're going to start with California. Uh, My two words are continuously challenging. Right. Uh, There are two, two new developments there. First, Individual mandate reporting uh, has taken place. California has an individual shared responsibility requirement or an individual mandate that went into effect this year. Under that, uh, beginning January 1st, 2020, residents have to maintain minimum essential coverage or they'll be subject to a state tax penalty. This sounds very familiar with the ACA's individual mandate. But to assist in the administration of the mandate, self-insured employers have to re- uh, comply with certain reporting, and there was recent guidance on this. Basically, the idea is that if you're one of those employers, you'll have to submit a 1095C on any covered uh, California resident. But the California Franchise Tax Board recently put out a draft publication and basically provided some guidance saying the forms 1095C will be due to California residents by January 31st, 2021. And they'll need to be filed with the Franchise Tax Board by March 31st, 2021. And there is a two-month extension available. Um, And you have to go electronically. And so this applies to not only uh, uh, employers that are physically located in California, but those that that are located outside of California but have residents within California. That's right. Um, So this, uh, we've seen this in a few other states, this idea of the individual mandates. Um, being applied at the state level, but you can see this expansion of states picking up where the NCA is now gone and imposing these new requirements on employers. So the second uh, new thing there is California has expanded its California Family Rights Act, or CFRA. That uh, requires small employers to provide unpaid leave to eligible employees. And so the new law expands that and it applies to uh, employers with five or more employees, it adds military ex- exigency related to a family member's active duty to the list of qualifying uh, reasons for leave. 
and it expands the term family member uh, to include grandparents, grandchildren, siblings, and children of any age. Uh, previously, that definition only included children under the age of 18, domestic partners, spouses, and parents. So you're really seeing California, uh, they're like New York and some of these other states that just really continue to expand. Lead. Okay, so we're going to stay with the C's and go with Colorado, two words, and then an explanation. Two words are mountain madness, uh, but <laughs> sticking with the state replacement of repealed ACA provisions, Colorado has its own version of the health insurance tax now. Uh, remember that that hit, or health insurance tax, as we, we call it, hit sometimes, that was repealed by Congress at a federal level uh, beginning in 2021. So this is the last year, 2020, for the hit at a federal level. But Colorado has stepped in with a new law. Uh, this is SB 20-215. It imposes a new state fee on health insurance. It's meant to fund a pool for reinsurance programs try and improve market stability and to increase enrollment and coverage and to help make it more affordable. So here's another example of a state stepping in where the ACA is now missing. Um, New Jersey is another, again, the bonus state here. They did the exact same thing a few months ago by enacting a state level hit tax um, that also takes effect in 2021. So from sea to shining sea here, or from mountaintop to shining sea, we're, we're seeing states step in on the ACA provisions that have been uh, repealed at a federal level. Right. And, and the concern we have with the hit tax is obviously that it's passed down and actually increases costs to enrollees. So we will have to watch that and see if that actually occurs in those states. But so let's stick on the East Coast now and, and we'll go to Pennsylvania. Okay. My two words are Philly leave stakes. Wait, like that's not steaks, two words. That's three. <laughs> <laughs> leave stakes is one word. Uh, but we're actually going to talk about Philadelphia, which is within Pennsylvania, obviously. But this is basically an expansion of FFCRA, but they're calling it there in the city of Philadelphia public health emergency leave. Uh, but this was enacted uh, mid-September and uh, became law immediately on September 17th, and it remains in effect until December 31st of this year. But this provides paid leave to workers who are not otherwise covered by FFCRA. So that's the emergency paid sick leave, the emergency FMLA expansions. Uh, but it includes those employed by employers with 500 or more employees. And it also includes those considered independent contractors, big workers like food delivery drivers and home health care workers. Um, and then the max amount of leave is actually 112 hours, whereas it's 80 under FFCRA. Um, so it's only available to those working 40 hours uh, per week, or at least that's how they define full-time, and then part-time employees get a prorated amount. That's another trend we're seeing is, uh, you know, this kind of expansion of FFCRA leave. Talk about New York. They always have something interesting that's coming up. So what's happening in New York right now? Yeah, New York, New York, that's four words, but... That's how we feel about New York. Uh, most recently, they're always active, but most recently, New York City actually amended its safe and sick leave law. That law has been in place in 2014, but it's amended now to come in line with the New York paid sick leaves. It's going to come online in 2021 at a state level. Um, so large employers with 100 or more employers have to provide 56 hours. And that's an increase from the previous requirement of 40 hours. Um, any, uh, the, the ESSL, 
Again, that's the uh, New York City law. That expands eligibility by eliminating the requirement that an employee must work more than 80 hours per year in New York City to be covered. And employers have to reimburse employees for documentation costs. So like a healthcare provider confirmation in the event that an employee is absent from work for more than three consecutive days. And there are some notice requirements here. So for our New York City uh, employers, employees' pay stubs or a separate document provided each pay period has to reflect the safe or sick time accrued and used during the pay period and a total balance of accrued leave time. New York City employers have to post a notice of rights um, and distribute an updated notice to current employees by October 30th of 2020. That's an interesting deadline. Usually it's the last day of the month, which would be Halloween, but that is a Saturday. So I guess that's why they went through October 30th there. But some new requirements there in New York City to keep an eye on. Yeah, and those are coming up very soon. So I think we have time for one more. So let's go to Washington. Yeah, Washington back on the uh, West Coast, extending extensions. Those are the two words here. Washington kind of sums up the whole podcast here with, we're, with the situation we're in across the country, just continuously expanding and extending. But the governor there issued order, orders for further extending emergency orders that had already been issued. Um, one requires health insurers to waive co-pays and deductibles for COVID-19 testing and requires uh, insurers to allow one-time early refill for prescription drugs. And then the second emergency order, 20-06, was also extended through October 25th. This one protects consumers from receiving surprise bills for lab fees related to COVID-19 diagnostic testing and it encourages some of these uh, bulletins or orders just encourage the carriers uh, to report out-of-network labs that are not published or honoring the cash price of COVID-19 diagnostic testing. Um, so these, uses, these orders more apply to the carriers and would really only impact the fully insured plan in, in Washington, but employers uh, need to be aware of some of those, particularly with employees coming to ask questions. But Washington, again, there really highlights this whole idea of what's going on with these extensions. And with the uh, HHS and White House proclamations and trying to figure out exactly what is required and for how long is it required, as those are the huge challenges right now for uh, employers. Right. So we And we have seen throughout this pandemic a lot going on at the federal level and the state level to assist employers and employees throughout. Um, and and uh, so we will continue to watch this and continue to report on it. So as we like to say, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us. That's today. Right